Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Pilato, and today we have a great show lined up for you. It's our live show in which we will be joined by Carr Ingham, who is the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, and my co-host, David Blackman. Uh, and today in our live show, we're here to answer any questions that you may have pertaining to oil, gas, and... You know, any other strange questions that you've been thinking about pertaining to the strange times <laughs> that we live in uh, with oil and gas. Uh, but first, I'd like to give you the phone number to call in if you're interested in asking a question here on the show today. The phone number is area code 210-308-8867. Again, the number is 210-308-8867. Uh, and um, before I have the gentleman, co- our gentleman come on the show, our guest today, Car and David, I'd like to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine as well. Our feature uh, is Tracy Bentley, who is an exceptional woman, for one, and two, the CEO of the Permian Basin Strategic Partnership. Um, now, while there are many, many great stories uh, that you can find in the latest issue of Shell Magazine, uh, the cover story was really interesting to me because... Uh, if you learn about what the Permian Basin uh, Associ- uh, Strate- Strategic Association was all about, was it was really bringing a whole bunch of the biggest operators and service companies in the Midland, Odessa area together. And uh, they ponied up about $10 million each. There's about 22 to 25 different operators and service companies. And their goal is to build a much-needed infrastructure in Midland and Odessa area. And when I say infrastructure, I mean roads, uh, transportation, health care. Um, there's a lot lacking. And when you have a huge amount of activity going on, uh, it really does cause a huge problem. So uh, the fact that this organization exists, the fact that this organization is there to help develop the infrastructure necessary, uh, it's a great thing. And then, of course, we have a wonderful leader, Tracy Bentley running uh, the show out there. So if you'd like to learn about Tracy Bentley, the Permian Basin Strategic Partnership, please go to shale, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com. Again, that's shalemag.com. And uh, I wanted to give you guys the phone number one more time. It's 210-308-8867. Again, the number is 210-308-8867. And now let me welcome on our guest, Carr Ingham, president of uh, the uh, Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Carr, are you there? Welcome to the show. I am here, Kim. How are you today? Thanks for having me. I am excellent. We're having beautiful weather uh, in our neighborhood here in San Antonio. How's your weather? Oh, it's a great day in the northern Texas panhandle. I hang out in Amarillo most of the time. In fact, all the time now since I can't go anywhere else. But I'm downstate a lot, as you know. But I'm in Amarillo, and it is just a great and pleasant day here. Well, good deal. And I also want to welcome on my trusty co-host, David Blackman. David, welcome back to the show this week. Hey, it, it is another beautiful day in Texas, isn't it? Oh, and you're up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, correct? 
Yep, I'm at uh, I'm actually in Glen Rose today, uh, visiting my wife's parents and uh, hanging out in one of their spare bedrooms to do the show tonight. Excellent. Well, it is always a great privilege for me to bring some of the smartest minds in oil and gas together and uh, answer questions that some of our uh, listeners and our fan base have for you guys. Um, And we actually already have two people uh, on hold, and I have a lot of questions to get through, so I want to immediately jump to the phone lines, and then I'll come back with some questions that I have for you guys uh, here a a little bit later on. Um, Barry, can we bring on Kevin from Katy, Texas? Kevin, are you there? And what's your question for Carr and David? Yes, uh, can you guys hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Yes. Uh, recently, the Senate Democrats uh, killed the purchase of uh, 30 million barrels to be stored in our strategic uh, petroleum reserve. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think that's a good thing to help the oil industry bounce back? Well, um, I'm going to let the guys answer that, but I can say when they killed it, um, <laughs> it doesn't. Uh, but something good came out of it. So, Carr or David, you, you guys take it. I have my opinion, but he's not asking me. He's asking you guys. Go ahead. <laughs> you know Kim will give her opinion afterwards. Well, it's not a bad thing. Uh, in all of the discussion about purchases of crude oil into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and there are two elements of this. The first thing under discussion, actually the very first thing under discussion on <clears throat> the week of March 9, when the wheels really started to come off crude oil markets, there was a planned release of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Well, that got shut down in a hurry, thank goodness. And even before that week is out, that had shifted from a release of oil to a purchase of crude oil into the SPR. Um, and so that was what the U.S. government, the Department of Energy, wanted to do, but uh, uh, but they were not funded to do that, and Congress did not fund them to do that and still really haven't funded them to do that. And so uh, it's, it's not harmful, and it probably is helpful. The fact of the matter is when you uh, take the amount of barrels that we're talking about, even in total or a given uh, one a given tranche of maybe uh, 30 million barrels, um, even under the falling uh, production levels that we are observing right now, it's still, you know, not very many days worth of crude oil production that we're talking about. So I don't know how David feels about this. It's part philosophical. It's part just uh, not a bad thing to do in terms of providing a little upside support to prices. And then on the part of the government, purchasing some crude oil while it's on sale. So I'm in favor of all of those things. Right. But in terms of yeah. a future market mover, I, I guess I don't see it um, as a as a that big a deal. Other things need to happen other than that. Well, what about um, and David? Maybe you want to weigh in on this one too. Um, so the thirty million barrels are off the table now. Um, Senate Democrats moved those off, but um, the administration moved to opening up all those uh, barrels or the availability to store because we're running out of capacity or storing ability. And they're starting with one million bar- or what is it, one million barrels. And some of the big operators have already um, jumped in there to fill their oil there. Is that going to make a big difference? Um, and is this maybe a, a different way of um, helping the energy sector in the sense of at least giving them somewhere to store their, their oil? Sure. And, and, and actually, Secretary of Energy, uh, Dan Burlett, this week did announce that uh, 
the Energy Department, DOE, is going to actually make that 30 million barrel purchase some point in the near future and put it into the SPR from its own budget. So the Democrats uh, in the Senate can't, can't kill that. But, um, but yeah, you know, it, it's, it, and Carl, I think, hit the nail on the head. It's, it's, it's something. It's, it's just a little thing. And uh, as far as, as letting producers store some oil in the reserve, that's, that's something, too. Uh, but I think what we're seeing, regardless, is that is that production has fallen so dramatically here in the U.S. We're, we're we're not running into that filling up the storage crisis that a month ago everybody thought we were going to. Right. Um, and and so, but all these things, all these little measures help to some extent, and uh, but it's kind of like putting a, a bandaid on a gaping wound. Now, um, car. This um, past week, we saw a spike in oil prices. I want to get your opinion on what's triggering that spike. Well, what's triggering that spike are a couple of things. Um, One is on the supply side. One is on the demand side. Uh, As David just quite properly suggested, uh, crude oil production around the world, actually, um, and certainly in the United States and in Texas, is falling I think at a faster rate than most expected. We had some sense of what to expect from those companies who, pardon me, from those countries, producing countries, major producing countries outside the United States, because they can announce what their production is going to be in a given period of time. And as far as we uh, can tell that they are holding to that, uh, they are, and uh, in fact, uh, kind of going a little bit deeper than that. Uh, beyond that, though, I think the surprise is that non-OPEC and OPEC-plus production is falling faster than most expected, led by the United States, which in turn is led by Texas. This was kind of my suspicion all along. This is no surprise to anybody uh, listening to this, um, because I sort of thought that's what was going to occur, given these um, given these really dramatic, drastic, severe set of circumstances that we found ourselves in. Beyond that, though, uh, we're beginning to open up the economy just a little bit. And as you can see this anecdotally, just around my town, the great little northern city of Amarillo, Texas, whereas a month ago or a month and a half ago or mid-March and early April, it looked like a bit of a ghost town around here. Not many people were out and about. Well, now, as they start to lift some of these restrictions, number one, and people have had it with this, number two, (laughs) they are out and about, and they're driving where they can drive they're driving around town in some cases leaving town i'm pleased to hear that david is burning a few gallons of gasoline this weekend and i wish i was um but these are the things that are um uh, that, that that close the gap you know between uh, we need everybody to get out weekly, there and drive there you go <laughs> weekly production and, and weekly um weekly consumption I just think that gap is narrowing. The market senses this, and it's pushing prices up a little bit. And before we go there, I'll just say, you know, I I wonder whether that's a good thing or not. I mean, I I, I want the market to be in control of this, but we've heard some companies suggest, you know, you know, when oil gets back to that thirty dollar range, we may think about drilling a well or two. And I think 
Oh, my goodness. I don't know if we want to think about that right now. Here we go. Well, look, guys, when we get back from break, we've got some more callers on the line. But I did want to let you know we're going Facebook Live, and I'm looking out over our studio, and it looks over 281 in San Antonio. And there's a lot of traffic and movement. And there is a lot of people out on the street. So uh, burn the fuel. Uh, We need to get out and get some sun. You're listening to the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bilotto, and today we're being joined live, Car Ingham, who is the CEO of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, as well as a petroleum economist, and David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine, who has more than 35 years of experience in oil and gas and is an expert himself. Uh, gentlemen, welcome back to the show. I'm going to jump to uh, phone line four, Delia from San Antonio. Delia, what's your question for David? and car. Okay. Delia, are you there? Uh, yes. Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Sorry. It's always a little bit of a oops sometimes on live, live uh, radio. Uh, what's your question for David uh, Blackman and Car Ingham? Uh, my question is, uh, some media outlets are reporting a speedy recovery in the oil and gas market. Do you agree? Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, I... You know what? There has been a lot of some are saying, you know, David, you and I talk about this a lot. Like, uh, is it clickbait? I mean, what is going on here? And I mean, with Carr being a petroleum economist, I think that he probably has the the greatest and most accurate pulse. Uh, And so I guess, Carr, is this accurate? I mean, I know we talked earlier with um, uh, uh, the gentleman from Katie, but, uh, you know, there's just so many different reports. Are we going to bounce back or are we not? How quickly are we going to bounce back? And I think everything is just on hypotheticals of how fast do we get out of this by consumer confidence. But Well, it, I, I, I think there are a couple of issues here, and I'm, I'll be interested to hear David's take on this as well. Uh, issue number one, and it's not, it's not always faulty reporting, but in many cases it is faulty reporting. Um, Faulty, not necessarily in the sense that a prediction is right or wrong. It's in how they report the data. So uh, if you just go try to get some sense as to who's saying what about production and consumption in 2020 compared to 2019, you often don't know whether you're talking about, for example, second quarter of 2020 compared to second quarter of 2019. Or is it second quarter of 2020 compared to the fourth quarter of 2019? 
Uh, is it April of a year ago compared to now? Is it an average for the year as a whole, or is it uh, one month compared to peak levels, or is it a quarter compared to peak levels? And when you read these stories, you can almost not tell about, oh, probably more than half the time. So it's it's just maddening to try to do this and make some sense of this. Um, and beyond that, of course, much of this is guesswork because we simply don't know at what speed the economy is going to reopen. When are we going to go even from, let's say, 25% of restaurant capacity and other places of that nature to 50%, 75%? Is there a time in the foreseeable future where we're sort of back to normal? It's worth noting also that the government agencies in the U.S. and internationally um, have their own sense of this. They don't always reflect the same thing, but I'm I'm, I'm looking at a striking graph uh, on the U.S. Energy Information, the Department of Energy's Energy Information website that uh, strong that suggests a a rapid comeback of of uh, of consumption in the third quarter of the year, um, and by 2021, you know we're back to 100 million barrels according to them, which is about where we were uh, when we uh, went off the cliff here. Um, I don't know whether that's optimistic or not, uh, and it depends on what happens between now and then, but it shows some good things. If you, Now, listen, not everybody believes the EIA, and they, they sort of do what the rest of us do. They revise their data on an ongoing basis to reflect, you know, their latest version of, um, of reality, uh, but... It has things that we know have already occurred. We have consumption falling faster than production does and deeper. Um, but then, uh, but then, uh, uh, crossing, uh, that, that production, uh, curve and going positive. In other words, consumption begins to outpace, uh, production before the end of this year is over with. That's partly because of production declines, but it is a large part, at least according to them, to a consumption increase, which means we have a pretty rapid uh, restoration of demand before the year's even out. So, again, this seems awfully optimistic to me, um, but it's not just media outlets. I mean, it comes from these sorts of sources, and it's not all that easy sometimes to just make perfect sense of these and try to tie them all together and figure out in the aggregate what they actually mean. Yeah. David, um, yeah. What, what do you think? But I mean, I also kind of believe when you put the American people uh, in quarantine for uh, over a month, they're going to get out and they're going to drive and they're going to just, you know, sure. <laughs> what is your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Demand's going to come back. I mean, it, and I, I agree. Everybody is. I'm looking at the same things that Carr looks at every day. And, you know, that seems to be the consensus that by the end of the year, we're going to kind of be back close to where we were at the beginning of this year in terms of global demand. What's not going to come back as rapidly as I think some people are thinking is U.S. production levels. Uh, we're losing a lot of production uh, being shut in right now. Everybody is scaling back their drilling programs dramatically, right. um, canceling them for the rest of the year in many instances, like Oxy uh, and some of these other big companies, Continental Resources. And a lot of that production is not going to be restored very rapidly. Plus, when you factor in that shale wells have this rapid decline curve, and we're not drilling the new wells we need to drill to, to you know, keep the production levels going right now, 
we we were at about 12.8 million barrels a day in the U.S. in January of this year. By the end of this year, we're probably going to be below 10, and we're not going to go back anywhere close to 12 within the next two or three years because of what we're losing in terms of production right now. So what all that says to me is I think that projections right now, you're seeing Goldman Sachs and others thinking about $35 rent prices at the end of the year. I think it's going to be more like 55 to 60 uh, yeah. So prices are going to come back because demand's coming back. And then is, does that mean also, when we come back from the break, I want you all to answer, does this mean that we return back to when it goes a little crazy in the energy industry, as we've seen over and over and over again? Uh, you're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators, as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our uh, guest today is Car Ingham, uh, CEO of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers and the editor of Shell Magazine and my co-host, David Blackman. Uh, gentlemen, we uh, took a quick break and we were discussing some of the media reports, how fast we're going to bounce back. But I want to switch gears because we have a lot of uh, people on hold. So Mark from Connecticut, what is your question for David or Carr? And welcome to In the Old Patch Radio Show. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. Um, There was an article yesterday uh, posted on Fox Business that the Chinese are buying up oil. Sorry about that. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, (laughs) that's it. Um, There was an article posted yesterday on Fox Business on their Facebook site that the Chinese are buying up a lot of the oil-rich lands in the Permian Basin. Is there any, and possibly that the Texas Railroad Commission might stop it? Uh, What are you guys hearing down there? Well, well, first of all, before I give them the floor, I want to say thank you for listening all the way from Connecticut. We appreciate your listenership. you know, there have been a lot of reports. Um, I've seen it a lot on my social media platform. Car, uh, David, what are what are you saying? What do you think? Yeah, uh, I mean, we, we have seen those reports. The You know, the Chinese National Oil Company has purchased working interests in, in some properties in, in the Permian Basin, and then there are other uh, non-state-owned companies uh, based in China that have actually purchased outright leasehold and are operating in the Permian Basin. It's not a real pervasive thing at this point, um, but whether the Railroad Commission can do anything about it, I'm, I'm not really sure. I don't, I'm not sure they actually would have the power or the authority to inter, intercede in any kind of financial transactions like those. I think, however, the U.S. Commerce Department probably could okay. if they chose to do so. 
Carr, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, that, that makes sense, sure. Yeah, I actually agree with that. I mean, we we have knowledge, certainly, of some Chinese companies, um, Chinese-owned companies that are uh, that have um, that uh, have established or purchased um, U.S. companies or started U.S. companies or companies that are uh, whose uh, management is here and is operating uh, in the U.S. Um, or, as David said, uh, producing or purchasing. Uh, 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 working interests in uh, company production and that sort of thing. Um, in some cases, it is a um, it's a Chinese-owned and backcountry, but with a company with uh, with American management that came out of uh, some well-known uh, companies um, in the U.S. And of course, any individual citizen, you know, they can come to their own determination about whether that's a good thing or. Uh, a bad thing, um, and if it's bad for in the oil and gas business, is it bad in other businesses as well? And um, and uh, you know you you open up a lot of cans of worms there um, when you start going down that road. Uh, I agree with David. I, I I I can't think of a single authority that the Texas Railroad Commission would have, or Texas state government for that matter, um, uh, to put a stop to that, pro- prohibit it from occurring. Um, and if the U.S. government decided to jump in and do something like that, they might well. Um, and would they? I don't have the slightest idea. You know, it, it brings uh, something up with me as far as, you know, had COVID-19 not occurred, would this really even be an issue? And I think that we probably would have seen these reports and it, we would have just, you know, batted an eye and just kept going. But as a result of now COVID-19, there's much more of an awareness that uh, China created it, or not created in a sense deliberately, but it came from China to some degree. And um, and so there's a lot of uh, mistrust potentially there. And, um, and so everyone is kind of keeping an eye on, you know, where, where are they going in oil and gas and how How involved do they want to be in this energy industry? And does it turn into that point uh, a matter of national security if they keep buying it up? That's my question. Guys, when we return from break, we're going to get to Joe from the Woodlands next. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Remember this name, Oil Field Experts, to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil field equipment needs. Oil Field Experts' specialty is those hard-to-find oil field parts for your fleet maintenance needs, and we've been providing those parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us for the right part right now. Write down this number, Oil Field Experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210 210- Four seven one one nine two three, and visit us on the web at theoilfieldexperts.com. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. To-
And welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have our live show. Uh, if you're interested in calling in and talking to Car Ingham, the CEO of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers and a petroleum economist, or David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine and my trusty co-host, please call 210-308-8867. Again, that's 308-8867. And now I want to take a call from Joe in the Woodlands. Joe, are you there? Of course I'm here, Kim. How are you today? Thank you for being such a loyal listener. You call in every show, and you always have such great, great questions for uh, Carr and David. Uh, so well, how's well, the weather? For doing... <laughs> what? Well, thank you all for doing such a great job for the oil and gas industry. Well, thank you. You know, we, we really are the only uh, syndicated radio show that really tries to bring just general oil information to the general public because it's just so difficult to try to reach uh, the general public. And there's just so much misinformation that is disseminated every day from, you know, national media outlets. So we, we feel we do our little part and we have partners in the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers is one. And uh, and, of course, our loyal listeners as well, uh, the Port of Corpus Christi. But how's the weather in the woodlands? Wonderful. It's finally cleared up. And uh, as usual, we have the cleanest air in the world over here in Texas. So <laughs> oh. uh, thanks to the oil and natural gas industry. There you go. <laughs> Not what you hear in the national news media, though. Uh, you know, you're always challenging, and you do a little bit of some writing for the publication, and we appreciate when you send in an uh, uh, opt piece. Uh, so what's your question for Carr Ingham and uh, David Blackman? Well, this is sort of like what's been in the news recently, and I've heard it from uh, other um, areas also, but with the current drastic drop in tax revenues to governmental agencies from the oil industry, I heard some reporters suggest that the government should increase the tax paid per gallon by the consumer, sort of like what exists in Europe or California, oh. where the price <laughs> per gallon is $8 per gallon. You know, yeah. Of course, that's mostly going to the government and not helping the oil and gas industry, and it yeah. certainly doesn't help the working class. Right. So, you know, what have you guys heard on this? Well, uh, you know, before they before they weigh in, uh, Carl, I'll, I'll give you the floor first. I, I really kind of, you know, think that we should, you know, think about things in the sense a lot of times people don't really realize how much something benefits them until it's gone. And then they really uh, do a, a, a second back look. And I'm not saying I want that, but sometimes if if it were to happen and we started paying more at the pump and started realizing how important oil and gas is to this state, uh, then I would say that elections matter and we should think about who we're electing uh, to offices that uh, are not so pro-oil and gas. That's my spin. Now, Carr, you tell me what yours is. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Uh, well, <clears throat> any, any proposal to raise taxes on consumers which is who that tax is on, by the way, um, is uh, it's uh, it's nonsensical, really, under any set of circumstances, and particularly under this set of circumstances. Um, the consumers are suffering because they're not going to work. They're losing income. They're losing jobs. Um, and uh, I have to tell you, uh, I, the government finances are the last thing that I care about right now. When they start caring as much, um, about the people that they are burdening with taxes and regulation, then I might give some thought to them. But 
Right now, not so much. Now, I will say, and <laughs> this is common knowledge, of course, in the state of Texas, uh, that um, in, in a in a normal year, and we'll see what this is not a normal year. We'll not see at what all. this ends up looking like. When you add up all of the money uh, that um, that the oil and gas industry directly pays into the state coffers, yep. uh, and I don't mean total state federal revenue because a lot of that comes from the federal government, but taxes and fees collected by the state. When you add up what the oil and gas industry pays upstream oil and gas industry, not the whole downstream, midstream, and all of this, just upstream in terms of production taxes for crude oil and natural gas, Sales tax is paid by the industry. The industry is a huge payer of the sales tax. Uh, motor vehicle sales tax, hotel motel taxes. I mean, putting crews up in, you know, in massive amounts in hotels and all of these sorts of things. I mean, again, in a normal year, you get a number that's well in excess of, of twenty percent. Um, and uh, you know, I think that's enough. Um, now, this is not a proposal to take that directly from the oil and gas business, but, um, but it's a silly notion and. Uh, um, um, the, the, the other part of that is, though, the tex- Texas has a thing colloquially referred to as the Rainy Day Fund, otherwise known as the ESF, the Economic Stabilization Fund. And that thing has, you know, $10-plus billion in it, virtually all of which was put there by the oil and natural gas business um, right. off from production taxes. Um, and so... Uh, I've never quite understood the logic behind the way people approach the rainy day fund, legislators in Texas, except that I do understand that because politicians begin to drool when they see a sizable pot of money sitting over there. But um, if used for its purposes, that fund is used to cover the gaps um, in tax revenue during times of economic downturn. Uh, in other words, an economic rainy day. And uh, by the way, it is raining in the state of Texas. I was going right to say, now. are we there yet? And um, <laughs> well, You would think so. Right. You would think so, would you not? So just out of curiosity, so now that everything has slowed down, and including the, the amount of taxes that oil and gas were, were giving the state, when does this? When do we hit that brick wall here in Texas? Is it is it this year or is it next year when the, when 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 the elected officials meet again next next year, they have to balance the budget, and this whole year was just kind of a washout. Um, at that point, is that when we see that the elected officials now have to look at the rainy day fund and start figuring out we don't have enough uh, funds to cover the state and cover the budget? We need to look at uh, the rainy day fund. And then also because we've lost so much revenue from being in quarantine for so long and shutting down the Texas economy. And why I ask that is because somewhere we're going to have to answer for these days that we've been in quarantine. So, Car, when we get back from break, I'd like for you to try to tell me when do we when if we hit the wick, brick wall, and if so, when? You're listening to In the Wall Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Psst. Hey, you. 
join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? Teak is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash teak and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us. 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Carr Ingham, President and CEO of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers and a Petroleum Economist and David Blackman, uh, my trusty co-host, as well as the editor of Shell Magazine. And uh, Carr, before the break, I was um, asking you, uh, you know, obviously we've lost a lot of revenue and oil and gas uh, is a big producer of taxes to the state. And I just want to get your opinion on, you know, is when do you see what we have lost really affect our economy and start start affecting uh, social programs and things here in Texas. Is it this year? Is it next year when the legislators began? And are they looking at the rainy day fund as a solution? Well, just briefly, to set the stage for how this works, the legislature in Texas only meets every two years. Right. They last met in 2019. They next meet in 2021. When they met in the spring of 2019, they put a budget in place that did not begin until October 1, or maybe September 1 anyway, um, and it's a two-year budget. So when the legislature meets and considers a set of economic circumstances, the comptroller, the Texas comptroller, gives the legislature a revenue estimate for the next biennium, the two-year budget. Okay. But he's doing that almost three years before... Um, and I'm, I'm part of that group, by the way, the Comptroller's Economic Roundtable. I know, you're a smart issue. guy. Yeah. Well, no, that's not what I said. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's what I said. <laughs> well, you're very kind. But you know, you're, 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 they, they have the unenviable task of having to look about three years out and hope the bottom doesn't fall out like it did this year. So right. you've got state agencies that are rolling along, uh, spending their budgets that were established on 50 or $60 crude oil, and that number was probably closer to 50 bucks uh, for uh, this time around. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they're kind of up against it now. I mean, the state of Texas is directing um, uh, some agencies to look at, uh, at just um, uh, lowering the rate at which they're spending money, and then... Uh, uh, this uh, this set of meetings with Comptroller and his Economic Roundtable group this fall in preparation for the next uh, legislative session that ought to be a pretty sporty set of meetings there. <laughs> kind of looking forward to see what seeing what that shows. 
Right. Um, David, I think you have a, a question here for Carr as well. Yeah, Carr, um, just going back uh, briefly here to the, the end of the whole debate over prorationing that the Railroad Commission had over the past month and a half, um, right after that, Commissioner Christian's Blue Ribbon Task Force issued its recommendations uh, to the commission on on how it should go about changes it might consider making and changes to, to Texas policies otherwise that the state government should uh, consider doing in, you know, in the midst of this uh, crisis that we're in. And I'm just curious, have y'all at the Alliance had a chance to review all of that? Uh, and do you think that there are recommendations in there that are going to be really impactful uh, in helping some of, particularly I, I worry about the small producers mm-hmm. uh, here in the state. I just wonder if there's, you know, some of those suggestions that are in there can be really helpful to the to the little guys. Sure. Well, the answer to question number one is yes, and the, mostly the reason is I've had a chance to review them is that I'm on that task force. So I was. Part yeah, of the group I, I, that, I, I, you're I, a busy I, guy. <laughs> you're on. You're on all these committees. Everywhere. Part of the part of the focus of this, with our insistence, was to focus this um, this uh, package of relief efforts that can be offered by the railroad commission directly, and then perhaps influenced by them in some other respects to operators who produce less than a thousand barrels of crude oil a day. So this entire discussion was really about trying to keep smaller operators afloat. And under this notion, you know, if you're a smaller operator in the state of Texas and you were economically viable going into coronavirus and COVID-19, we don't want that to be the thing that takes you out, takes a, one of those companies out of business. And so if anything can be done to keep that company afloat within the bounds of reason, then that's that's that was kind of the logic behind this, and so there are a number of I think of helpful uh, suggestions in there that have to do largely with the relationship between the operator, the smaller operator, and its regulator, uh, in terms of fee reductions, in terms of the relaxation of some um, of some uh, regulatory structures. By the way, only those which do not. Put um, the environment at risk or human safety at risk, and that sort of thing. So, nothing like that is on the table. Um, and so, uh, there's there's no panacea for this, as you know, David. There's there's nothing that can make up for the lack of for the for the stunning speed and depth of demand contraction here. There's nothing to, to be done about that in the near term. But there are some yeah. ways that the state can make it easier on operators uh, to do that. Um, and, you know, when you look at that package, it kind of looks like a technical piece of work. It references various railroad commission uh, fees, the fee structure, various regulations. But these were provided by operators, by representatives of those operators within the oil and gas trade associations like the Alliance. And so... Um, uh, you know, it's not that that one thing alone is going to keep any company afloat, probably, but it will help out. And um, um, on balance, we're pretty pleased with that set of recommendations. That's good to see that. Gentlemen, we have a few minutes left in the show, and I want to get uh, one yes or no from you guys. Um, these oil prices, um, do you expect, Car, for them to improve? Yes or no? Yes. David, how do you feel? Oh, yes. Awesome. Uh, Although maybe not so much in the near term, but by the end of the year, for sure. 
Okay, so we're going to start seeing some normalcy, according to you guys. So, Car, you pulled out your your crystal ball, and I have to say, I didn't realize you were so busy on all these different task force and committees. Uh, and and we're so fortunate to have you come on once a month and give us some real answers and take answers from our callers. Um, and you know, uh, David and I are really thrilled every single month when we get you to come on and, and talk to us, especially since you know there's. Not a lot of there's a lot of economists, but not a lot of petroleum economists that kind of help us put this uh, together. And I'd also, you know, before we leave, like to thank our callers. Our, obviously, we've been doing this for a while. Our show is picking up in uh, visibility, and uh, so we always like to thank the callers who call in with these great questions. And you know, I also want to say there is no great answer i mean great question or dumb question or uh as long as you're trying to learn about oil and gas and how it affects you uh, rather it's by the through the economy or financially or at the gas pump that's always a good thing because this is a very complicated topic and so i want to thank both you david and car for coming in again uh, and talking to us uh, live in answering our uh, caller's questions. Thank you. And so until next month, thank you for joining us on In the Oil Patch Radio Show. In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.